0: And we're live with our 120th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson, at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Howdy,
1: everybody. We're back with our 120th episode. Uh, super excited to be here, as always, and to chat with Ken about AppSec stuff. Um, we've been... Um, I don't know, right? Like, you know, we're in the midst of this uh, weird pandemic and everything else is going on, and there's a lot of news to talk about. Um, we haven't really scheduled any trainings. We've been working on waiting to see what happens in the next couple of months to see if we can do something that's in person. Rather than remote, um, that being said, there are remote op- opportunities coming up. If you haven't heard, CactusCon is pulling remote this year. Um, that's the conference in Phoenix, Arizona, or Mesa, or whatever, larger Phoenix area. That happens every year. Um, our good friend, and Wilson, is now he's on the board. I don't think he's running it day-to-day this year, but if you haven't heard about it, go to CactusCon.com. It is all free, and it's all online this year. Um, otherwise, Ken, I don't think there's much else on my like list of notices. you have anything else you wanted to talk about before we dive into separate topics today?
0: No, I was just gonna say cactus con is uh just like reminds me of the early years of ShmooCon, uh where mm-hmm. it's like a very versatile mix of topics. And very it's a hobbyist conference. Would you say a hobbyist conference is is fairly correct? I would say it's not as much of a vendor. There are vendors, but it's not like it doesn't feel as much of a, it feels more like, like I said, a hobbyist conference, if anything.
1: Yeah. I'll throw the URL up there. Um, But they they do have all the talks posted, um, what's up and workshops and other things. Um, I'm going to miss it this year, right? Actually getting down there uh think i always enjoy that group i i used to work for a company that was based out of phoenix so became pretty intimately involved down in the area in the infosec community good group of guys down there so if you have some time i know they already had something like 1800 registrations for the virtual conference i'm like holy crap um andrew was posting about it earlier this week so uh, uh, but it should be good right and it's always a good group and a good A good set of topics that they create down there. Um, Sweet. Other than that, um, I don't think we have, I mean, there's a lot that's going on in the news and otherwise. Um, There's a couple of items I know that are on your list. Uh, One that I wanted to pull up before you got there, though, Ken, was the OWASP top 10.
0: Oh, God, Uh, I haven't looked
1: at that yet. You haven't looked at yeah. it, so I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna post the link right now. Whoops. Um, <laughs> this is the proposed statistical data. Um, this was I can't I'm not sure who actually dropped this up there. Was it Philip Derrick Or I, I mean, I know that Brian is working on it. Um, Brian Glass, Professor Glass, who's been on the podcast before, um, but this is all of their. This is their list, right? Um, I have feelings about this. I don't know if you do. <laughs> uh, what your thoughts are on that? If you just look at the initial proposal, not necessarily the the statistics underneath it, but the initial like changes to the top ten um anything stick out to you there, anything you want to talk through,
0: Yeah, so it looks like going through this line by line um. Looks like A3 was sensitive data exposure, and now it's going to be cross site scripting. Um, first opinion there is I just can we stop calling it cross site scripting? Can we just call it content <laughs> injection. That's like my only thing uh, about that. Um, just more generically, content injection, I feel like is probably uh, more descriptive and accurate. Um, yeah title, but no no hard opinions you know that's always been on there um but i think what's interesting here or the one that i thought was interesting is that um insecure deserialization moved from a or uh, a8 to a5 and it's been merged with xxe but then uh in its place is ssrf which how many times have we talked about ssrf on this podcast like that's i feel like yeah. that's probably apropos uh and then what's the other change here do do people see xxe a lot because i mean i know that it's uh i mean obviously it's a thing (laughs) and it yeah and uh it's been a thing for a long time but uh yeah i just i don't um, know
1: i i if, if you remember back at one point we had i think it was jess on the um podcast talking xxe and and i know it's still a thing for a lot of like the java and x and dot net apis anything yeah. that's using soap or you know some of those frameworks so i think that in between businesses is where you see it more i, I know in startups and startup land and hipster language land it's not as big a thing um like it's been a long time since i've seen a valid XXE, right just in my testing but i know the organizations that i'm dealing with don't necessarily aren't building soap-based services anymore. It's a lot more restful and JSON stuff than it is XML. So it, for me, it makes sense that it's it's a part of insecure deserialization um, in general. Like, like I, I'm with you as the specific vulnerabilities like cross-site scripting and even server-side request forgery, which is it's a it's a form of injection, right? Like I, I have a hard time with this. Like we have a named vulnerability that's in the the top ten list. Um,
0: yeah, it's like almost as if it's um, more more leaning towards like a type confusion or something like that, where the the user input is being commingled, whether it's with you know HTML templating or whether it's with an HTTP request to another service. It is just a yep. uh, confusion on the the boundary there. Like, what is user input and what, what did the developer write? So, I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's yeah, you're right. It's all injection in some form, if you want to call it injection. But yeah, we call it we call it out by specific named vulnerabilities. Which um, I don't know how I feel about that. Actually, it seems pretty.
1: And but then and, again, and, it's and like, honestly. Yeah, this is a discussion that we've been having for a long time, right? Like, I mean, I remember having this back in the Fishnet days when we were trying to name vulnerabilities for the reports, right? Like um, cross-site scripting or even SQL injection is like the exploit, right? It's right. not ne- necessarily the vulnerability are talking about or the risk that we're talking about. Um, So like, you know, we're trying to name things based on, okay, what is the vulnerability in the code base itself, right? Oh, it's, you know, some sort of lack of, you know, user input validation and output encoding, right? But that's not, it's difficult because we have the top 10 and that's what people are expecting to see. Um, Mm. Yeah, and I know we're getting away from it, like things have things in the broken indication. So instead of calling out, insecure direct object reference or, you know, function level access control, we've got broken access control. And so we've got other like broader categories that we're starting to list in there, known vulnerabilities. Um, but we still have these kind of outliers of, um, oh, we've got XSS, we've got SSRF now. Um, I mean, we had CSRF in there before. And yeah, so it, so like I go back and forth on that. Um, Cause it's a good thing to have like a list that people recognize. Um, but at times it does this, it's a disservice um, for actually having a discussion about how to fix these vulnerabilities um, because it isn't necessarily the vulnerability itself. Right. So
0: yeah, <clears throat> I get the sense there's some um, use cases that the creators or the uh, curators, I should say of the OWASP top 10 list are probably privy to, which, you yeah. know, we should get Brian back on the, um, podcast. And speaking of, I need to schedule people, but we should get Brian back on to sort of discuss this. Maybe Philip as well. Um, Get uh, Philip DeReich on here, but Brian at the very minimum, because I'd like to be interested in the use cases because maybe there's a reason with use cases of how this list is being leveraged for different places. Like I don't use this list super frequently anymore. I have don't, not a huge need though. uh, you know, I've used it in the past as a consultant, as blue teamer. And there, in each case, there was different ways we would use this list. Um, you know, as a consultant, you'd focus on, you know, what are the requirements? Well, the requirements are to train people on OWASP top 10. So you've got to go through the list that's on there and you've got a very specific set of course topics that are like SQL injection or SSRF or cross-site scripting or whatever. So perhaps there's, and and then also tools, tool, tooling that's like says that it hits these, you know, bullet points and it's a requirement for uh, we've talked about this before, how this is um, this list, unfortunately is used as part of uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it um, used as like a, meet certain compliance requirements uh so whether it's like finding those types of vulnerabilities or like i said training people on those types of vulnerabilities there are loosely aligned compliance goals or objectives or requirements or whatever so like uh i don't know i guess it probably comes down to how this list is being used more widely than like um why why these phones have specific naming conventions versus just a very general category because injection is pretty wide, right? But at the same time, yeah. it's always the same crap. Whether you want to call it cross-site scripting or SQL injection or SSRF or command injection or whatever you want to call it, it's always the same thing. It's confusion on what data is supposed to go, where, like how data is supposed to be shaped, you know, and then yep, that's it. I mean, it's, it's really simple in that way.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, they they do try to call this out, and I know that we had this discussion with Brian last time. Is it's not supposed to be a vulnerability vulnerability classification, right? It's just a list right. a, list of risks, you know, that's rated based on the data that people provide. Um, and you know, if we if they don't have good data, then they end up with a bad list. So, yeah, it's both. I guess good technically, i right? assignment...
0: Falls under injection yeah. too.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I've does. never
0: seen that one as a as a class of owner, as a or type of risk, but it's an ever present risk in, in a lot of applications. Yeah, even though it's called yeah, different it's, things.
1: Yeah, because you could really man broken access control. I, they've got that that graph in there, like the category overlaps. Yeah, uh, that's a hard problem, right? I, I mean, it,
0: it's a... Yeah. Well, I mean, so, but then let's actually bring that up because you just mentioned broken access control, but how many things fall under broken, ass c- <laughs> broken, <laughs> broken access control? That's the kind controls. of day we're having. <laughs> <laughs> broken <laughs> access control. <clears throat> oh, man, sorry. It works um, either way. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's getting spicy up in here. No, uh, broken access <laughs> c- Oh, I did it again. Broken access control. <laughs> Broken ass controls. Yeah. Broken ass controls. Um, I mean, like forceful browsing or missful, missing function at level access control or, uh, you know, technically, I I, I, adore, I suppose. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you could you could uh, put under that that blanket. You know, same as you could with just injection. So it's yeah. it's kind of going against its own patterns. But I, you know, I think this is one of the this is one of the weird things because this list is con- every time a new proposal comes out, it is the most contested, polarizing, <laughs> discuss that length topic. So um, yeah, probably preemptively, we should get Brian. I'll we'll we'll lure him in with some sweet. I don't know some sweet, sweet uh, swag or some swag sort
1: of that we'll send out in a <laughs> year.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I'd love to get a Professor Glass on.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I don't know if there's been much more else to say to that, right? Like outside, yeah. if if you want to get into the XSS discussion, which is also yeah, yeah. Pro- probably but, more than we wanted to dig into right now but it would be fun to get like philip or others to actually come in and talk through that like they're thinking with XSS. um because yeah i don't know i i know anecdotally for me xss is not and i know for you right it's become less of an issue and yet we're we're pushing it back up to number three in the top 10 which means people are seeing it as a huge risk mm. and I my gut and the news tells me it's blown, right that's and that's just anecdotal from what I'm seeing what my experiences um, I get you know how often do we de- do we see something like broken authentication result in or you know, or broken authorization, I guess. So, IDOR or something like that result in sensitive data exposure. That's where the breaches happen, right? Um, or breach data is leaked. It's not, like I said, it doesn't seem to have that same effect. But anyway, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know that's been a hot topic lately. But the, um, <clears throat> I have seen it, we- I've seen. Yeah, I've seen cross-site scripting be weaponized in tandem with other vulnerabilities to have some fairly devastating effects. Um okay. especially when you talk about things like OAuth handshakes and you talk about <clears throat> signing, you know, single sign-on between services um or sites that are susceptible to CSRF. So usually when tandem with another, you know, act, uh, another issue, uh it can be pretty devastating but <clears throat> yeah, I, I think there's some... Oh, actually, speaking of that, we're going to talk about some of the ways people actually get hacked today. So that should be interesting. Um, but yeah, I see your point. Although, uh, you know, XSS is never fully going away. We we, we still have to deal, deal with it occasionally. Um, so, but yeah, uh, is it that interesting to me? No, not really. I mean, there's people who dedicate their entire work to that stuff, and that's cool, and it must be fun for them. I'm kind of eh about XSS anymore. <laughs> it's like one more bone. Yeah. I guess I'm kinda of, eh on most phones because it's just, not like I don't care, but it's just like recognizing um more of the I guess because I just focus on defending against this so much that it's it's more interesting to me to talk about like the defenses than it is the um exploitation at this point. Yeah. So yep. Cool okay yeah
1: all right well, well we can move on from the last top 10 for today anyway i'm sure, <laughs> okay. sure we'll get back to it we'll, we'll bring in you know
0: one of the, about the north korea, korea thing. things way. okay yeah okay that was like super i didn't mean to cut you off by the way but that was uh <clears throat> sorry uh but uh uh yeah do you have the i mean i guess i can post the yeah final I, am. Link.
1: I okay cool. yeah i just got it i'll post it yep
0: I don't know how you heard about this, but this is super fun. Oh, your uh, yeah. Google blog.
1: Yep. Yep. That's, I mean, the threat analysis group, they're the ones that actually, you know, I think that was the initial release on it um, yesterday, right? Um, but yeah yeah, super, it's a watering hole attack is what it is, right? Is what yeah. they've created there targeting security researchers that are developing zero days, right? That's realistically, that's what it is. Um, and they built a blog, they invited guest uh, researchers to post on the blog um, and then were able to take over systems based on things uh, that they built themselves, right? So, yeah.
0: Yeah, so this is what I thought was in the few key points that were super interesting was one that they created, you know, that North Korea created intelligence purportedly created Twitter accounts, blog accounts, um enough accounts to make it seem legitimate and then engage with researchers like even having researchers guest blog post on their blog which You know, it kind of reminds me because back in the day, uh, like a long time ago, I did a couple articles for InfoSec Institute, and um, when this is before, you know, InfoSec Institute was like even really a thing or well known. And at the time, I did it because I was like, well, I have information to share, and sure, I mean, I'll I'll give you some of my testing. I think it was testing tricks and like you know code to speed up things with Burp or something like that. I don't really I don't really remember anymore, but. I could see how this could happen cuz when they hit me up I hadn't really heard of InfoSec Institute too much and you know you you let's be honest when you're trying to build your career you do things like guest blog posts and you try to build your own brand by you know doing these types of things so I see why it's you know susceptible why people are susceptible to this it would be you know very easy to be asked to do a guest blog post Go do a little bit of research. It looks on the surface maybe legitimate, so I can see how that happens. That's very easy to understand. Yeah. So by doing those like legitimate accounts, they're they're getting people to then load their code uh, in a in a Visual Studio environment, and then when they go and do the VS uh, build steps, a DLL gets dropped and executed. That is malware that helps talk back to a command and control and allows uh it's just malware that allows for command and control over that person that security researchers machine. Holy shit is that like next level targeting? That's that's pretty serious. I mean that's the the levels that they went through for this are amazing. Yeah I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. <laughs> that's pretty serious.
1: Yeah I I mean I mean it is. I like I've always one, yeah. So I kind of go back to the threat models, right? Like we we, we always kind of um, discount nation state actors, but that's exactly what we're dealing with here is they they've got a specific set of needs that they're looking for, right? And, and it just shows that they'll go to basically any length to you know, find zero days, right? Like we've we've seen paid zero days for a while, for a long time. Um, that you can go and sell your zero days on you know the market to a a number of different organizations, and some of them could be related to other other regimes, you know, to governments across the world because that's what they're looking for, right? But this is the first time that we've really seen something or uncovered something that is. Is really that threat, right? Mm. I, I mean, it's me. Am I having to take a step back, right, to think about the, the threat to the applications that I'm looking at, and then what a watering the hole ta- attack looks like for the users that are related to the applications that you deal with, right? I, I mean, I, I'm sure where you're at at GitHub, this is a huge thing. Like we, we've already seen takeovers of accounts that, that result to, you know, they're talking go and NPM packages and, you know,
0: um,
1: pipeline attacks and all that kind of thing. And all that depends on GitHub. Right. Like that that threat is huge.
0: Yes. Yeah. I actually posted this link when you sent it over. Cause you know, Seth's the one that found this, uh, reading material there and he sent it over to me and I sent it to work. Cause I was like, wow. Um, there's a few reasons, like you said, yeah, because first of all, um, man, so many thoughts. Where to begin? So like you said, whether it's downloading code with Git or whether it's loading it up in Atom or GitHub <laughs> Desktop or VS Code or Code Spaces, or any place where you have a trust boundary that's being crossed, you can't, we we just had this, you know, a, a remind, reminder discussion again at work, you know, where we were like, look, um, it is a trust boundary that's being crossed when you download code and you, you know, execute it. And you cannot um, kind of just wave wave your hands and say, well, now it's crossed a trust boundary. So if the code you're loading is malicious, well, that's on you. There's this fine line where you have to figure out what's reasonable for us to avoid a remote code execution situation or, you know, um, for instance, you load some like a dot file or something, and then it does some sort of like hook, you know, to pull in other code, for instance, or push your settings or whatever it may be up to a central location, whatever it may be, you have to Assume that once that codes into the environment that you're trying to, um, that the, the, per, the user is trying to do some, run some code, look at some code and modify some code. You have to assume that, uh, or you can't assume that you can just wave your hands and be like, oh, it's, it's okay. They've, they, they understand they're loading code remotely and like, it's fine. No, you have to do take reasonable steps and be responsible about that. And that's the hard part, especially when you talk about with like loading packages from third party sources. It's it, it's pretty um anyways it's very timely and in, 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 in one of the projects I may or may not be involved in, you know, with it may or may not involve online, you know, code editors. And this is yeah. very this is a very timely relevant article because it's very obvious that yeah, if there is a weakness in whatever's loading up dot files, build steps, uh like actions with GitHub actions. You mentioned, you know, Again, another place of loading in um external code with where also tokens are stored. You can only imagine the difficulty in keeping these things uh secure and like figuring out what where boundaries lie and um man, it's it's just not it's not a uh, it's not trivial for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I go back to even some some of the basic tools that we use, right? Um, so on the Mac, you think about like a Homebrew, right? Okay. And, and how's that installed, right? Mm. Uh, do you remember how, how Homebrew is installed? You basically do a sudo, sudo. curl directly, yeah, yeah, directly from a website straight into yeah. a. Like, it's basically RCE, you know, and yeah. you know that everyone and their dog that is a Unix <laughs> that used Unix in the past or Linux in the past runs that command because it gives them access to that environment, right? And so, uh, you know, and then extend that out to libraries, to everything else that we trust. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I think about GitHub actions all the time because that was my initial reaction when I started pulling those actions is because it, my, I'm like, man, we're trusting. It feels like random people on GitHub. To write these actions, and I'm like, uh, how far do we take this? Right? Do I want to take the time to to rebuild this or to edit this code? Especially if you're trusting something like the main branch, where they're just, you know, they're they're able to push new code and execute it across all of these environments. I, yeah
0: well if you notice if you ever read the documentation and and actually some people don't even realize this um there's such a concept as self-hosted runners so instead of having github run your actions you can point to your own runner that'll run these actions and you can secure that any way you want but we give no guarantees at any point once you start using self-hosted runners and there's a reason we can do our due diligence up to a certain point right with uh our own infrastructure, um, we're not up to a certain point. We can do our due diligence and make sure that it's secure. But once you start taking it into your own hands and running your own runner, it's like, yeah, I mean, dude, you're running code that, you know, I mean, obviously they give you, again, this is where the line is. There's a security, there's a security boundary around, you know, controls for how to get access into that. Like say it's a private repo or something like that. You've got controls, you've got security controls for the organization that has people like it can enforce two factor auth and require it and do all these. There's all these little controls about who can merge what and what rules, like, you know, you have to be a certain account to approve code changes. And or you can institute all of these security controls. But at the end of the day, if you're using a self hosted runner, just know that code's gone. <laughs> it's going on in your yeah, infrastructure. Cool. And we don't have, there's that day.
1: Well, well, not only that, right? Like, but if you're dependent on an action from someone else, like you're cloning their repository and then running that, right? Right. Inside yeah. of your, like, you're you are trusting that third party, um, yeah. And then, and there's not a lot of, yeah. I, I mean, unless you're cloning that repository, comes the whole the whole issue of you know trusted third party code and vetted third party code um, is it, it? It's in so many places. That I, like it's it's almost an impossible problem to solve, and that's exactly what this like this group was targeting was hey we know the security researchers hey and we know that the security researchers probably don't have the best hygiene right like and we know mm-hmm. that you know being in right. the industry is like it's everybody that does this professionally at some point hey I just got to get my job done right. And yeah, yeah. You're, you're except
0: you're the it's crazy that you posted this too. Because last night I was just watching, um, I think I told you, yeah, I told you I was watching this uh North Korea refugee who had escaped North Korea and twice, by the way. And uh, anyway, she was talking about the conditions in North Korea and uh. Uh, you know, she she's like, well, you know, people still now she lives in the UK with her her son and her family. But she's like, you know, people talk about World War Two and Nazi Germany and concentration camps as if that was like a thing that used to happen. And she was like, that still happens. in That's happening in North Korea. Like it absolutely is happening. And we know that's happening in China with uh, the 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 Turkish uh, Muslim population. Uh, so that, it, you know. It, 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 we're in a weird, and there's a couple of other, other articles you and I have like discussed behind the scenes. You know, it's, it's, um, between North Korea and China and Russia and the the cyber warfare. I just wanted to use that word. The cyber <laughs> I warfare <laughs> I know I can put it in um, the title for saying uh, cyber warfare. <laughs> the cyber warfare. But, episode. You know it's cyber warfare episode. It, it's but definitely been it, yeah. like, yeah, it's 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 getting dicey out there. <laughs> it's gotten dicey out there. It, it is, it, I mean, and it all goes back to like
1: you know the the misinformation campaigns and putting out disinformation. Um, yeah. it, it becomes hard, right? When when it's hard for one of us to distinguish and to know that you know there's a hack going on against us, like the security research community. Obviously, this this was caught by Google at some point, but it's been going on for a while. Like, I, I don't, I don't necessarily have a timeline in front of me, but you know, it's been going on for a while. Um, but like, if we have a hard time detecting it, uh, the layperson, uh, you know, the non-technical resource probably is just as uh, like, there's no hope, is mm-hmm. realistically what, what what I'm trying to say is they don't. Like, how do you educate one on the? right yeah i mean developers in general they you know they're trying to get their job done they're trying to build features they find a library that helps their life they're going to use it
0: yeah i mean that's the you can do you can have education up to a certain point but uh it's sort of like um like patrick Toomey, who i work i work with who i'd like actually i need to ask him to come on the podcast but um He's, he said yes before. I I think I I think he said yes before and I just didn't schedule it because I'm <laughs> I need to be better at spot scheduling. Anyways, uh but he has he 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 talks about um one of the things he talks about that I like is that uh you shouldn't um like fish like fishing um awareness campaigns, for instance. You know, that was the huge trend for a while. But um the the issue with phishing campaigns in general is you're, you're, you're assuming that the user should take on the responsibility mm-hmm. of whether or not they click on links. And, and his point is, why aren't you hardening the technology enough so that if they do click on a link, it's not a problem. You know, why are we focusing on, on trying to get them to understand so much of, of what's a, a a valid link and what's not when we should be doing a, a better job of locking down just The fact that if they do that and just assume that they're going to do that, you know, that environment should be hardened sufficiently um, to prevent attacks. So I think there's a a balance for sure between the two approaches, but uh, I like the thinking. I like the idea about that Um, just because education is great and all, but it has its limitations and even the smartest among us can be tired one day and honestly just accidentally click right so and this is the the same concept with um you know security re- researchers you know getting duped by uh some north korean or whatever adversarial uh nation state is coming after them it's not impossible and um in this case you know they unfortunately um it was a combination between being duped and you know like like the article talks about Running build steps in Via and Visual Studio that then allow a DLL to be initialized that has command and control capacity. So, yeah, but I just think it's interesting. Yeah, and- definitely under attack, is what I'm trying to say. It's def no question, everybody knows that, but like, man, is it more and more prevalent? Which is like our next thing that we talk about, our article points further to that. So,
1: yeah, and yeah, I mean, when it goes back to the phishing campaigns, when it goes back to actually being targeted, at the end of the day, we're all people. We all have weaknesses, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so just because you're a developer, just because you're a security researcher, doesn't mean that you're not going to be susceptible to something like that. And then on the IT side, you know, when it go, going back to the the idea of those the phishing training um, or the like awareness campaigns that go out there. Uh, one that's built well, that has knowledge of your organization, uh, like the, the success rate on those is going to be something insane, because we I, like how many times do you still get, hey, you need to reset your password, right, from a you know an automated system out that's trying to be helpful and point you at a specific internal resource to actually reset that password.
0: Yeah, which yeah, I think is I, a reason I, that was it NIST or someone who got rid of that 90 day requirement to rotate passwords or whatever and said, no longer is that. I think that was part of the thinking is that it wasn't helping and it was actually leading to more like things like that or, you know, being socially, I mean, I don't remember the exact reasons. I think there were multiple reasons, but I think that that was one of them.
1: Yeah. I mean, sure. it just came up in a recent mm-hmm. uh, training or you know, like we were doing it, you know, with uh, you know, AppSec fundamentals or whatever training, and somebody was asking, "Well, what what are your thoughts on password reset policies?" And I exactly that, exactly what Mist is saying. Like we've done a disservice because people can't remember passwords like that. We want them to be random, and yet we ask them to reset it every six days. It's going to lead to problems with randomness in passwords because they establish patterns. People have to have patterns to recognize that and using a password manager extending that out is a, I mean, it's basically just a better way to go
0: uh, from a security perspective. Password managers, man, don't, oh my gosh. All right. Among security pros, not a big deal. It is surprisingly hard for me to get people that aren't into computers to use password managers. I had the most recently. I don't know if you want to call it it wasn't infuriating it was a depressing realization of how complicated people view password managers. This is one reason why um I don't know why I think this because if I can't get you to use a password manager I'm not sure you'd understand a UB, like the YubiKey key would make it easier but I do like the the standard yeah. of WebAuthn, which we uh keep teasing out we'll have to get to we'll have to get to web Authent, actually one of these days um uh, web web authentication, uh, which if you're not familiar, is just using some other device to sort of uh, like a YubiKey key to authenticate you. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, I like that idea better than um, say password managers. Just having two factor auth um, in a way that is uh, pretty easy, you know, once it's set up. But that's the thing is like once it's set up, and I mm-hmm. I'm not kidding, man. I, I <laughs> because I'm sure everybody listening has this where you have friends and family, especially those that are a little bit older, you know, around Seth's age that uh maybe aren't no, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, for those listening and not watching, I just got the middle finger from Seth. <laughs> but um in his advanced age. Um but anyways, <laughs> so uh um, it's a little bit it's a little bit infuriating because they're like I got hacked I got hacked I got hacked and and again this is one of those situations' where it's like no you clicked on a link and you gave your credentials or no you uh, you know used a very basic password um, that matches your username or something like that and it's and then it's like well use a password manager and don't do these things and it's then it's just our two factor off yeah I've been trying to get two for a certain family member, I've been trying to get them to use two-factor auth so they stop getting hacked. And I'm not even exaggerating; I say probably five times hacked on Facebook, you know, in the last six years, we'll say. So it's it's definitely like we're still a long way off with 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 password. I don't know. I'm getting off on a tangent, man. It's just been no, infuriating it, to try to get people that are non-technical to secure themselves.
1: Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's hard, right? It takes diligence and that's that's the issue i mean and that's that's the problem that's exactly what this this north Korean hack is about is the security researchers don't necessarily follow their own advice at all times um and when they don't and when it falls down it can have devastating effects so someone that that yeah, someone, again, that doesn't have the interest or doesn't have the expertise to actually implement a 2FA or to implement any of those things and understand what's going on. It's just one big jumble and it fills to them unnecessary steps. Um, and uh, websites and app, mobile applications don't make it easy to use either, right? So if I've got a password manager, like some of those sites, and some of the the applications themselves that don't allow like either copy paste or like kind of the overlay to easily get those passwords in. All of a sudden, I have like a sixteen or twenty character long random string that I'm trying to import one device to another, and you know, it like even for me, it's like, oh crap! I, I've got to I've got to actually do this makes it extremely difficult. Like you know, you know, you want you wanna you wanna live that, go put in a you know a 26 character random string for your Netflix password. Good luck <laughs> yeah. with that. Right? Like it's just like, oh shit, right? We and we had this problem, right? Like back at the company that shall not be named, right? Like you know, the Wi-Fi password that they would generate what a 128 character <laughs> screen. Oh my god! And, <laughs> and they were like, "Hey, this this makes it ultra secure." And then what did they do? Like every time somebody came to the office, they had to print it out on a piece of paper and give it to them. I mean, font, yeah, yeah, <laughs> because because it was so difficult and no one could remember what it was. Right, like it was just like, um, we're defeating the purpose of having a secure string here because we've made it so difficult to use like usability and security have to go hand in hand, but yeah, paper anyway. would
0: literally sit around that office for months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause you'd have to pass it around. Right. Like yeah, anybody came to visit the office. Yeah. I think that was for like, Oh yeah. That's just so stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you're right. There's, there's a point at which, you, I mean, dude, when I got my new phone, um, that was kind of a nightmare trying to get it all set up from one phone to the other for like the purposes of things like duo, you know, and another authenticator I use. And uh, it definitely um, made it difficult for sure. uh, To um, security, security, using like security mechanism in general, add a little bit of extra work to it. And if you're the average user um, again, this is where it's like, I think that there's a little bit of confusion on what's your responsibility and what's the platform's responsibility. And, you know, definitely like two factor auth and password, um, your, your password and how you manage that. That's definitely more of a, an area that is the, the user's responsibility to a degree, right? Obviously once they give you a password, they submit a password and save it in your system that, that ends, that's on your end. But in terms of, you know, how the, the passwords formed and then where it's, Kept by the user, and then if they've enabled two factor auth, and if they have what they're doing, you know, to use like if it's an SMS versus an authenticator app, you know, there's different risks there, different benefits, different, different. Um, it's just different, so or it can be very different. Uh, text versus an authenticator app versus a key. yep. Anyways, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know how we got off on that, but how <laughs> <that> goes. <laughs> Well, I, I
1: no, and it, it all leads back to that security hygiene discussion that we're having about security researchers in general. Um, so, all this has shown to me, right? That that article and this watering hole attack is that no one is safe, and just yeah. because you do security for a living doesn't mean that you're following all those proper security protocols in every situation. Right? We've all got our limits. We've all got oh, this website doesn't matter. This is a random forum, right? Like, I don't have access to my, you know, password right now. Oh, I'm just going to download this software and run it because it seems like an interesting exploit, right? That, or like, you know, that kind of thing that I would, happens across the board. And again, it always targets the human element. So just because you're a security researcher doesn't mean that you can't be target, targeted and you can't be exploited.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. And uh I think I was looking at Slack and uh Toaster thirty-two. <laughs> is that the way I think that's Lee, not uh, it? Yeah, yeah. Lee. <laughs> yeah. Using a third party code, doing research is a good reason to use clone clean VMs and snapshots that are isolated modern, which is true and accurate. And uh yeah, if you if you, you should be doing that. But to your point, Seth, sometimes people get sloppy and lazy and uh you know. Yeah. Time, time constraints. Time. constraints. Time constraints. Yep. And yeah. that's, that's what they're counting uh, on. By the way, I I make fun of you about your age, but I'm only like a few years younger. I don't people I don't think people realize that. I'm only like a few years younger than Seth, but it, it's it's fun to mess with them.
1: Oh, <coughs> no, except okay. kind
0: for of reading Slack. I'm like, just so everybody knows we're we're oh. almost the same. It's just I it's like so that
1: it's just it's just the the white hair that i'm getting the grays i'm more
0: advanced that's what it is that's all it is you're more advanced hacker so the last thing i wanted to get into before we jump off here which i actually didn't man we didn't i did not expect us to go 55 minutes and still be like cramming to get a topic in but here we are so can i talk about the parlor bit from follow-up sure sure let's do it because we
1: i mean we talked parlor last week i think
0: it was yeah,
1: last week a little bit. And, um, you know, kind of the the whole evolution of de platforming something. So you had an update on that. So go for it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it was the episode before last, but I could be wrong. Oh, yeah. It was
1: two weeks, two weeks
0: ago. You're right. Yep. Yep. But, you know, it's this is this is one of those cases where some possibly new information is coming to light that makes it a little bit less. Um, makes me feel like, okay, maybe there's there, maybe there's more to this than the initial Because Obviously my initial reaction, you don't, we don't have to go over it, but I think, <clears throat> I mean, pretty much ours, but I'll, I'll definitely own the, the fact that I was like, what the hell? Like you can't just take a platform offline just because it doesn't agree with your views. I mean, unless it's like, you know, clearly breaking the law or something, um, you know, crazy uh where the entire platform is just dedicated to something that's clearly not you know there's there's gray area for sure but anyways my point is is it was like at least it was concerning now here's some new information or at least some new information and then you know daniel meisler who we've had on the podcast who i respect a whole bunch love the guy um released his newsletter one of the things he mentions in there is that um the the founder of parlors uh wife is russian and there's um some details emerging that he kind of points to the fact that um i mean she's there's pictures of her wearing a shirt that says like uh trust me i'm a russian spy stuff like that which could very well be a joke it could and he even admits could very well be a red herring but um there's a lot of like uh little, little tidbits that kind of make you feel like there's a potential for foreign actors to be like, for instance, you know, they, they claim 12 million users, but um, maybe it's more like 10 million, but there's uh there's a couple million from not in the U S right. A- active users on the site. And um, I'm just going to post one of the articles. It's daily mails. So I'm not sure how seriously <laughs> I take that to be quite honest with you. But oh, uh,
1: so, so we're basically becoming a, uh, you know, <laughs> gossip, you know? Never mind. gossip column. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but what's interesting is, I guess what I'm saying is there's the potential, or at least Daniel brings up the point that perhaps there is a known intelligence operation being employed within parlor. And perhaps the reason they were taken offline or I'm I'm think I'm adding this part. Perhaps the reason they're taken offline necessarily wasn't because, you know, um some of the uh, percentage of the users, and I just want to be clear, a percentage of the users um uh had uh you know organized and we had the capital riots and all that. Um perhaps one thing that will come to light is that this was actually um a long-running advanced intelligence operation and the companies that took them offline uh had discussed this are aware of that perhaps even coordinating with the government um and in 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 that case you know i i think what I, like what what we should all do is remain objective take the take the facts as they come as we learn more just keep an eye on it and um so that to me would feel a little bit more uh, I'd understand that more and that'd be a little bit more tolerable than if it was just like, well, these, they, this people, these people have this political opinion. And so they don't get to, you know, talk to each other or whatever. Like that didn't feel great, great. Right. That felt like some Orwellian bullshit, but, you know, seeing that there might be a, ma- uh, this might be a massive intelligence, um, operation is, is, uh, just one interesting way to look at it. So. Yeah. Just keeping an open mind and keeping the, keeping the facts, uh, watching the facts as they come. I don't, I don't know what else you, uh, you know, think about all that. Uh, yeah yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and that was the other interesting thing is that, uh, there was another article just recently, I think it was, that here you know, I'll, I'll post it as well. Like from Bloomberg, that's basically saying the new partner does definitely have ties to the, you know, the Russian government. Um, and whether or not that actually equates to, yeah, I, I, I mean, them controlling Parler, being able to see what's on the site and track people, uh, you you don't know, right? But, um, but I, you know, realistically, we don't know about any of those larger social media platforms what actually gets turned over to uh, agencies that request information from them, right? Uh, right. It becomes a yeah, I, I mean, basically, it's just you got to be careful. And you got to protect yourself is really what it down to. And that goes, you know, that goes from, you know, hey, the North Koreans are targeting my community, like the security research community to, hey, I'm just on Facebook and I'm posting something. Um, who is it that, you know, what is it that I'm sharing? What is it that I'm actually doing? And what sort of information am I giving these big companies, these social media sites that, uh, you know, if you want privacy, you probably shouldn't be using them in the first place, right? That, that kind of.
0: Yeah. Yeah, be careful. What you, I was just having that conversation over the weekend with, um, uh, with my wife, who I was like, hey, um, we were just talking about the more apps, like why I, just talking about like why I have an aversion to installing an app for everything on my phone. And I was just like, literally, the more, the more you put on your phone, the wider the attack surface is, bottom line. And that goes for social media sites or anything else. Um, the, they may make you aware of the permissions that they are requiring uh, to run on your phone. And um, it may all seem legitimate, but you're still extending the attack surface on your device. Your device is now more vulnerable each time you install an app, um, You know, for the most part. Again, there are gray areas out there, but we don't need to get into all, all edge cases. One thing I do want to say too, Seth, is that I'm also fully aware that it could be a situation where we're using the potential for this to be an intelligence you know, parlor, to be an inte- like an intelligence uh, uh, weapon to create divisiveness amongst uh, the population, that, that that theory could be thrown out there to also skew us. To not to to make it more palpable that Parlor was taken offline, so uh, like a little triple uh, play there. So I'm not ruling that out either. I'm keeping the tinfoil hat on. So
1: keep the tinfoil. You got to keep that tinfoil hat on, right? Hat yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I go back and forth because that was the other thing. I think today they they announced that the whatever that My Pillow guy got banned from Twitter as well, right? Um, and Again, for divisive speech, it sounded like he'd been warned a few times. Um, they've got other rules that they've, like, community or civil... I can't remember what they called it, what Twitter calls it, but they've got kind of a set of new rules on, hey, guess what, you're you're basically not allowed to just attack random institutions and say stuff that's not true over and over. We'll give you a warning, we'll give you, a you know a little bit of a grace period, but we're going to ban you if you keep doing it over and over. So, um, but, but I still go back, back and forth with the power that these social media sites have. Um, and they, they are trying to be more transparent, but I don't think they expected to have that amount of power when they started. And we didn't expect to be giving that up. It's kind of this weird Conglomerate of you know issues that have combined over the last couple of years with the discourse that goes on and almost the monopoly power that they have in the social social space that is causing these causing these issues to pop up. Um, I don't know. I don't envy those people in um, how they actually institute those rules or try to come up with those rules. Um, because they are, I, I mean, on the one side, they're providing a the public service, but on the other side, they were never elected to do that, right? It's not like they're a public official deciding on what's best and everybody's gotten together and voted them in. It's just, we vote with our eyes and with our apps.
0: Yep. Well, yeah. I
1: don't know. I don't know anyway I mean,
0: yeah we don't social media there. is uh along with i just think that like whether it's social media or whether it's um whether it's really just any platform where you know you've you've got the ability to uh control like it could be you know back in the day it was print media now it's online. Right. So any, any medium where one side of the coin gets to talk and the other doesn't is going to create some serious issues, but it's, it's been interesting because we're in a time. And I think it's been more prevalent because we're all at home and because we've got some serious tension globally, like there's tension. No, I mean, dude, you can feel the tension. I mean, um, just going outside, going somewhere. You can feel everyone's tense. Everyone's been cooped up. Everyone's dealing with this horse shit, you know, uh, you know, it, it is what it is, you know, and nobody's, nobody's loving it. So, um, we're, I think it's when everybody's miserable or not, I'm not saying everyone's miserable when everyone's dealing with something that's not exactly fun. And there's a tense environment, just a situation for it to combust. And I think that's what you saw being taken advantage of, um, during, the last few months, and arguably the last year, but especially the last few months. So, yep, but yeah, yep. like uh, it's interesting, man. We're in a weird time. Just keep yourself safe, I yeah. guess. Be careful of what you download. Be careful of who you talk to. Uh, not saying to be yeah, and use a password. Yeah, and use a password
1: manager and two FA or MFA. Stop <laughs> clicking on these damn links. Stop. <laughs> As we post links for you to click on, yes, that's how this
0: works <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. crap
0: I've given you, your Facebook credentials out you're not getting hacked, you're just falling for random crap so but yeah, he's two factor. He's a password manager
1: sweet yeah, all right, well, I think that's everything for today um as always
0: oh, oh. You might want to mention Toller what Ken Toller just said. Go for it. Go for it. Now he mentioned, mentions that tax season is out, is happening. We're all gearing up for tax season. I know I am actually, I'm collecting paperwork now. Uh, so the fishing, fishing campaigns are underway for tax season. So warn your, uh, warn your family, friends, whoever you want to warn. Speaking
1: of, oh man, speaking of which, like the, it, well, I I don't know if we want to get into this too much, but the the, the most recent uh, um, payout for the um, for the government uh, like that six hundred dollars um, came to like some people as a like a debit card. I don't know if you heard this, and no. the debit card looks super super sketch, right? Oh. Just like a random bank didn't really say it's from the IRS just looks super super sketchy um and i and i was actually proud of you know my like in-laws called me up and they're like we we got this like random you know debit card in the mail looks like it's you know from this bank and i was like no i'm like yeah yeah shred it wait 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 let me let me do some research it turns out that it's totally valid right <laughs> but the way that they went about it i like i'm like oh my gosh this is like the government Oh, man, I, I've got to find the article on this.
0: Yeah, the um, CDC called me uh, like two days ago or a day ago about a survey. Uh-huh. And it was so super sketchy. And then I did a little homework. It turns out it was legitimate, but it was like so freaking sketchy. And I didn't, I mean, obviously I'm like, you know, no, I'm not doing anything. Who are you? Why are you calling? You know, but yeah, so that's actually, I mean, this is, man, this is the problem, right? <sighs> right. This is part of the problem is they're yeah. actually- well, and this was, this was the article that I
1: actually found because it, it came in and it's like, oh, here's your economic impact payment visa debit card, right? Um, here. And so I found like actually the AARP talking about it. They're like, don't throw this away. This is actual money from the government, right? Um, but, but if you AARP? Really look at that link- Are you subscribed yes, to AARP?
0: Yes.
1: No, but this was when I went to Snopes and stuff, this is the article <laughs> that I found. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this is valid
0: right when you went to your aarp account
1: yeah man dude
0: yeah but i mean you look at the
1: card right it's got star network it's got meta bank on there it totally looks like a fish i I was just so i'm so frustrated right i'm like ah ah." yeah like we we fail right like we just fail (laughs) Yeah. anyway anyway
0: yeah, Press I mean the if it's the yeah. super uh I mean yeah, it's just like we've all the training that's been given to teach people that this is not how business is done, and you know, legitimate entities won't contact you in this way, and they're just undoing it. Just thank you so much, <laughs> government. You're really helping out, you fucking winners. <laughs> yeah,
1: is <Empire, she's> winning. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah so um, yeah all right be safe out there uh, find us on on all the social media sites or join our slack uh, if you want to talk about stuff further but um yeah appreciate everyone listening and being a part of the absolute upside community we'll catch you all online see you next week
0: thank you we appreciate it
1: bye